when you have influence and all of us do consider your space and consider your influence and consider the people that might not have those same opportunities and access to the spaces that you have. And how do you invite people and introduce people into those spaces and opportunities because of the gospel, because of the sake of Christ, not because of political correctness or obligation or shame or affirmative action, but because you look around and you know everybody doesn't have the same opportunities as you. How can you create space and opportunity for other children of God? This modern world is of particular interest to women. Betwixt, at the intersection of faith and culture. Well, hi, friends. Welcome to the Betwixt podcast. I'm Deb Gregory. When was the last time you told a difficult truth to someone? How did it go? Well, today we talk with Natasha Sistrunk Robinson about her journey to becoming a truth teller in a divided world. Natasha is someone I've been listening to and learning from for some time now. I've been struck by the way she spans the distance between diverse communities, building bridges of deeper understanding, reconciliation, and healing. The way that she balances strength with humility is something I've come to really admire in the way that she leads. And I hope that you pick up on some of that in our conversation today. And as a heads up, Natasha will be speaking at the Missio Alliance Awakening Gatherings that's happening in March. Here's Missio Alliance Director J.R. Roscoe to tell us a little bit more about the Awakenings and how you can come hear Natasha for yourself. So Missio Alliance convenes a national gathering every other year. And our fourth one is coming up at the end of March, 28, 29, 30 of March in Alexandria, Virginia. This year, it'll, it'll revolve specifically around asking questions in, in our day and age with all of the issues that the church is facing. What does it really mean to be the body of Christ under Jesus's lordship in and for this world that God so desperately loves? Part of what makes Missio Alliance, Missio Alliance, is trying to bring together uh, theology and practice in all of our resourcing and in all of our conversations. Who will be presenting at the conference? Yeah, there's probably 40 or 50 different theological practitioners who will be a part of the different spaces of conversation that we're having. If I think about the plenaries in particular, you'd have folks like Charles Montgomery, who's a vineyard pastor, and Karen Swallow Pryor, who's a Baptist professor of literature, or Rich Velotis, who's the lead pastor of a, a truly multi-ethnic and international church, really, in Queens, New York, or Terabeth Leach, who's the senior pastor of a Nazarene church in Southern California, or Todd Hunter, who's the bishop of an Anglican church, uh, or Ephraim Smith, uh, who pastors Covenant Church in Northern California. So we have uh, speakers who represent a tremendous amount of geographical and ministry diversity, as well as coming from all kinds of different streams in the life of the church, the body of Christ. And today I've got Natasha Sistrong Robinson with me, and I've heard that she's going to participate in the conference as well. She is. Natasha's a great friend, one of our regular writers on our website, and we're hoping that she'll do a reading for us in one of our plenary sessions from a book that she's recently written, and she's offering a pre-conference event. So she's just one of the many people we're very excited to have in the conference coming up at the end of March. That's so great. Well, thanks so much, JR. Thanks, Deb. Hello. 
Well, hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. So who is Natasha's sister on Robinson? Well, Natasha describes herself as a black girl from small-town Orangeburg, South Carolina. She was a star student and athlete with the kind of leadership potential that led her to the U.S. Naval Academy and on to becoming a Marine Corps officer. She's worked in leadership positions in the military, in government, in church, seminary, and in nonprofit sectors. She's also the founder of Leadership Links Incorporated, where she mentors leaders toward affecting generational and cultural change. Natasha has written several books on mentorship and discipleship. Her newest book is A Sojourner's Truth, Becoming a Truth Teller in a Divided World. And that's what we're going to talk with her about today. Can you tell us a little bit about the journey that you took to becoming a truth teller in a divided world? The truth I started with as a young girl was that my identity as a Black person, my identity as a woman was good. I didn't really accept Christ and, as my Savior until I went off to college. Then that became an identity marker for me as well. Okay. Becoming a truth teller has really just been about accepting those things mm-hmm. as good and as things that God purposely caused to happen in my life for his good. So it wasn't something I had to apologize about or something I had to defend mm-hmm. or something I had to explain away. It's just who I am. So becoming a truth teller was really about me understanding that God created me a certain way at a certain time for a certain purpose and just really living and walking in that truth and that reality. Oh, that's beautiful. In some ways, it seems like that's the most difficult first step, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, because whether you're a person of color or whether you're a woman, I think there's a lot of messages about who it is we should be. That's right. Right. And so we we invest a lot of time and energy trying to measure up to other people's expectations. And so some of that is not realistic. Some of it is not God honoring, really, you know, and so we waste so much time pretending. And so I find when you kind of let go of all of those things, then you can really focus on being first the person that God created you to be and then asking the question about what is it that he wants you to do in light of that reality. Mm, That's great. Can you kind of set up what the book is about? It's called A Sojourner's Truth, Choosing Freedom and Courage in a Divided World. Yes. So it's kind of memoirist. <laughs> you know, I like to say it's, it is a very intimate account of my life mm-hmm. journey. I'm telling it alongside Moses and the Exodus narrative. Mm-hmm. And because there's a rich history of that particular narrative to the African-American mm-hmm. community, particularly Black Christians, I thought that was also an important narrative to tell. So I'm weaving that these three, it's like a three chord strand, if you will, of my story, Moses' story, and the story of African-Americans in the United States of America in mm-hmm. particular. And so it's beautifully written, by the way. I loved how you did oh, that. It thank was great. You. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I was just weaving those stories together. And I think about to an interview I just recently did, someone said to me that it's very rare that I see the story of America told from a perspective of an African American woman. That's right. Even in the church. Um, within Christendom, within evangelicalism, even, we are used to hearing messages and voices and stories told. And most of the times those stories are not told from that perspective. And so God intended for me to write the book because it wasn't something I really 
um, wanted to write. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's something I submitted to writing. (laughs) And I knew that if I didn't write it, it would have been disobedience. As I was reading the book, I just kept thinking, man, she is speaking her own story with vulnerability, with humility. That was a word that really struck me. Courage really stood out to me. And the way that you engaged all of those things together really drew me in. So you said that you feel like it was an act of obedience to write the book, but was it easy for Mm -hmm. you to write or was it in some way an exercise of courage? I don't know how courageous it was. It was it was just hard. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know if it was particularly courageous. It was a hard book to write. In what ways? I think it was emotionally hard. I just remember I cried all the way through chapter two. I just mm. <laughs> it wasn't just all bad things. I cried for the loss, you know, a lot of the grief that I talk about early on, but I also cried tears of gratitude. You know, I'm still standing. I'm still in Austin Shannon Brown's word. I'm still here. These things did not take me out. I'm not bitter. I still am very hopeful and very loving and and full of Mm. joy. And I think that's God's grace and and mercy and the power of the Holy Spirit at work. So I'm very very grateful, even though I had to go through, have been going through very difficult things in my life. By the time I wrote the book, a lot of the things that I had been through, I've settled in my heart, but there was this rub, this tension of, why do I have to revisit this in this way? And then why do I have to tell everybody, (laughs) right? Which was another one of my, (laughs) I knew that in order for me to address the important issues that I wanted to address culturally about some of the injustices. And some people don't understand the narratives. They don't understand the issues. You know, if I say mass incarceration or Black Lives Matter, some people may not understand those things. And if I say something that they don't understand, or if we're using the same language and we actually mean different things, then there could be a lot of resistance and then there could be um, a tuning out and not listening to what it is I really am trying to say and not hearing my Mm. heart. So part of the story was bringing people to a place of understanding our common humanity and, and some of the things we do share in common. Like we do all grieve. We do all have loss. We do have broken relationships. We do have things that we have to work through to reach our goals. And so sharing some of those stories about myself was really a connection point of saying, these are things we have in common so that you can hear me when I'm talking about some things you may not have an understanding about. It's such a wonderful, generous space, right? But that's really the space where we can actually work things out. And, you know, the other thing that really struck me about your journey, at least how I read it through your book, you know, it's apparent that throughout your life you've stood betwixt and between different communities. You've been a civilian and in the military world, right? Yeah. You've worked in the church and government. You are integrated into black and white culture. You're a theologian and a practitioner. Yeah. And you mentor men and women. Yes. And so you really do span the gap between these kind of diverse communities. Mm-hmm. But I imagine that, you know, just as bridges hold an incredible amount of tension, what has mm-hmm. been your experience of tension in speaking truth into these kinds of spaces? Sure. So, I mean, you said it, right? Bridges hold tension. Bridges also provide a path 
for people to get from one place to another. Mm. Bridges also are walked on. Uh. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> I mean, you know, so yeah. a bridge is most of the time is if it's a good bridge, it's sturdy. Yeah. And ideally, if it does its job, then we will all get to the destination where we're trying to go. Mm. Seeing myself as a bridge builder, I think one thing that's been very clear to me is that God prepared me in a very intentional way to be that, to occupy that space, to live through that tension. And that's not to say that it was easy. I'm just saying I've been through experiences where that's clear to me. Now, looking back, that's what God was doing. That's right. What I realized is that God positioned me and he moved me in and out of these environments and spaces. It was almost like the moving was the training. Mm. I know now it was never about a profession or a career or upward mobility. It was about, I'm going to send you over here to prepare you for this. I'm going to send you over there to prepare you for that. I'm going to send you over here to get credibility in this space, you know, for these specific things. And Mm. so when I look back on My life, especially when I look at the work he's called me to do within the church, that's very, very evident. So I I almost know the audiences that I'm speaking at, what training camp I need to draw from. I like how you just describe that as kind of God draws us through these times. And in the book, it's you really kind of highlight these moments as those wilderness journeys. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, man. And we hate that, don't we? (laughs) We try our best to avoid the wilderness because we see it as scary and dangerous and dry. But why is it important for us to actually journey through the wilderness? In the wilderness, by the way, is all those things. It's scary and dry (laughs) and dangerous. Right. But what I see that when I read the Bible, you know, there's this tension of God calling the person, but also the person being willing to answer the call, right? right. And so um, the people that God used, uh, obviously Moses being the example from the book, but you think about Jesus and his call and him being tempted by Satan in those 40 days in the wilderness. You think about David being called as a boy and really going through several decades of wilderness before he actually became king, something that was promised to him when he was a child. And I think Mm. about, you know, a lot of the women that we don't always honor or remember, Ruth and Naomi, and how much loss and death they had before Mm. they actually got to become women that were in the lineage of of Jesus as far as Ruth is concerned. And she was a Gentile. You know, you think about Mm. the mother of Jesus. This is someone who watched her child be murdered Right. So there are women and men in the Bible that we hold to an esteem of of leadership and not many of them get to that position having not gone through a wilderness experience. Mm. Think about Isaiah and Jeremiah, like the weeping prophet. Right. They call Mm -hmm. them. Those are the ones that, that led the most difficult lives. I'm not happy about it, but the humility is that. I'm in good company. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm in good company. And really, like the song and, and the scripture, or, or like better is one day in your house and a thousand elsewhere, or I'd rather sit at the table of the Lord. I just like, what else are you going to do with your life? Like, I don't, I wouldn't want to be in any other company doing any other thing hmm. because I look around and I see the results of that too. And I don't think it's any better. It's true. And it seems like those who have gone through the wilderness seem to have the capacity to see beyond it as well, right? 
Yeah. You know, and even though Moses couldn't himself get to the promised land, mm-hmm. he was always driving the people that way. It was always mm-hmm. in his mind and his vision. But that gift of seeing must come through the journey, right? Yeah. Um, the seeing, I would like to say the seeing too, having an expectation of what is to come, mm-hmm. I think is probably a little bit deeper than the seeing because sometimes I think people think they see. Um, you know, I think they really do. They think they see. And sometimes we don't or it's cloudy. But I think when you have an understanding of the big picture, to me, that gives perspective more than anything. That My perspective is, well, if there is a king, if we are part of his kingdom, and if I'm a citizen and a child and an heir to that kingdom, then what does that mean in my day-to-day? That's a perspective I have. When I go through a wilderness experience, then I'm not consumed by it anymore. There have been times when I have been consumed by it, but once you get a few of them under your belt, so to speak, (laughs) right, you will get through Mm -hmm. it. It won't be the end of you. And then eventually, when all is said and done, Jesus is going to return or he's going to call you home. Now, if that is not true, Deb, then none of this matters. Mm -hmm. So that's the vision. That's the hope. Yeah. So can you just share like a story of of your own experience of liminality and how in that moment you were able to speak truth that brought freedom? Yeah, I mean, there are many. I think the one that comes to mind is um, when I was transitioning out of the military, it was a hard decision to make because I love my job and I love the community and that's what all of my my close friends were doing. And I love the promise and the possibility of being able to retire with a good income very young. And I came from a family that didn't financially have much. And so when I got out, we were in the thick of the Iraq war and my marriage was in trouble. And um, my daughter was very young. She was like one or two years old. And I didn't want to leave her. I knew if if I went to another duty station that I would have to leave my daughter, that my marriage probably wouldn't have survived because you can't work at a marriage when you're not present. (sighs) And I, I made a decision to get out, which meant that I left a job that I loved, that I left a job that I was very good at, that I left a job where I had a community. And I left a job that was paying me very well. Mm. which when you think about someone who comes from a family that doesn't have anything, security was such an important part of my desire as an adult and and as a woman, quite frankly. And so when I was praying and wrestling through all of this, the Lord was very clear. The question for my heart was, are you going to trust me to provide? Are you going to trust the military to provide? Mm. And and that was a wilderness experience. And ultimately, even after he had asked me that question multiple times, our marriage survived and, and we grew and we are healthy and better now. But financially, we, we hit a crisis. I mean, mm. it was just a very hard lesson. And it was it was one of my wilderness experiences to go through. Mm-hmm. And what was it like? Did you experience freedom at any point through that journey? I didn't feel like I experienced freedom through the journey. I didn't. I'm being honest with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Yes. I I didn't experience freedom in that journey at all. I felt like what I did get was Paul's words saying, you know, I know what it's been like to have, and I know what it's been like to not have. And either way, I'm content. Mm. 
I've had and I've not had. And God is still faithful <laughs> and he's still steady. And I haven't missed any meals. But the freedom on the back end was that God is faithful and he is a keeper of my soul. Mm. And he cares about the things that concern me. And he will finish the work that he's begun through me. None of that is dependent on what my job is or what my bank account looks like. And so am I going to trust God? And my freedom is I have to constantly stand on the truth and remind myself that God is trustworthy. And that's a whole other level of freedom, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for asking. One of the things that I really liked about your story um, is just your journey even to Rwanda. Mm -hmm. And the things that you learned from brothers and sisters yeah. in Rwanda, especially it seemed like they taught you a message of humility, mm -hmm. of healing, and of hope. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, this was the, the thing about truth telling. And it's almost like I say the word Rwanda and the next thing that comes to people's mind is the 1994 genocide. That's like Rwanda and it's like, oh, genocide. That's horrible. Mm -hmm. They are horrible people, right? And I go there and it's like, well, that was 1994. And from what I observed, they're further along as a country when you think about racial issues or tensions or divisions as a result of that sin than we are, right? Yes. But part of the reason they're further along is that they have committed as a people, the government has committed, the church has committed, they have committed together as a people that we're going to be one. They don't even define themselves by their individual tribes, if you will, anymore. They're like, we are Rwandan. That's the language they use. We mm. are Rwandan. And they have genocide memorials all across the country. And so they're not lying about it. They're not shameful about it. Mm -hmm. They are honoring the loss of the life and respectfully singing to the loved ones of the deceased. We see you and we are here for you. And everybody knows the story. The kids know the story. Story, and everybody knows that this was bad and we don't want to do this again. And so let us be a different kind of people together. Never again, never forget. That's right. That was good for healing. Also, it was good for hope because my thing is, is that these people got something right and justice is being brought to the people that murdered in mm. that genocide. And it's a community endeavor. I think it was hopeful for me. It was like, there's some people acknowledging the sin and repenting for real yeah, <laughs> when right? I feel like sometimes in our country that the repentance is not there. And so I'm like, there's some people in this world that, that really name the sin confession, which is what the Bible calls us to, mm. and they repent and turn from it. Yeah, And so for me, that was very, very hopeful because that's a lot of the rub I feel in our country. Like there's no confession mm -hmm. and there's no repentance. And so that was hopeful for me. And I think the humility part of it is experiencing that and knowing about my own sin, right? And that mm. I think God is is really helping me understand grace more through all of this because people do some horrible things. Yeah. That's the truth. People do horrible things and that is not all they are. So oh when we think about <laughs> when, you know, everybody being created in the image of God, there's still some goodness there that hopefully prayerfully can be redeemed. And then there's also this truth that we are all 
sons and daughters of Adam too, mm-hmm. and, and this flesh. You know, we have a choice, as the Bible says. Are we going to submit to the flesh and are we going to live that way or are we going to submit to our spirit? And for those that have submitted to the flesh, my hope is that I can be a person who responds in such a way that they don't continue to make that choice. And, and I've just been mm-hmm. i been very much convicted by the passage in Romans that says it's the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance, right? And I feel we do a lot of judgment and shaming and guilting in our country, and that ostracizes people. It does not draw them to repentance. No, it just divides us, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm just resonating with this tension of when we speak truth today, like what I'm hearing is not gracious, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't sound like it's for the purpose of building up and bringing in. So how do we do that? I mean, how do we be effective truth tellers that are setting a space for hope and healing? Right. I think, you know, kind of at the beginning of the book, one of the things I say is the first person you have to learn how to lead is yourself. Okay. And we as Americans in particular, a lot of our culture, our American culture is not grounded in scripture. Mm -hmm. I mean, we like to think it is, but it's really not, right? So we are very prideful people. Also, even in recent years, this whole idea of we're great, right? Mm -hmm. And then we don't apologize a lot. And when, when we've done something wrong, we, we tend to make excuses for ourselves yes. or justify the things that we've done wrong. We have to ask ourselves when we start to see patterns like that show up in the church. And I think we have, right? Not just yes. for racial issues, but also in how people sin against women and all of these things, right? How they sin against children. I mean, I've, and I'm telling you, like we make all kinds of excuses of how we sin against other humans. Mm-hmm. And so the point I'm making here is that we have to look at ourselves and be honest with ourselves about who we are and the things that we've accepted about ourselves as, as true, good or bad. So every time someone is accused of something horrible, right? Mm-hmm. Sexual harassment, you always have the defender saying, well, he's a great father and husband. And that may be true, but he's still someone who is is sexually harassing people at work, yeah. right? And so I think that we have to be honest. The first person we have to lead is ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves about who we are as people. And I think that would really be a good first step for walking, at least asking God's help in the ways we don't line up to his standards. Mm. You write in your book, in the shadows of the history of the place we departed, And in light of where we're going, what shall we do? That is such a powerful question. How will we enter into the new world? Most of us just don't even want to place ourselves, right? But how do we place ourselves today where we are? And to speak truth with that hope for the new world, particularly I'm thinking of artists and, you know, those who who speak truth, not just with their voice. Mm -hmm. What's your counsel for us? There's two things I want to say about that. One is, I think we would do well for ourselves to practice more of the spiritual disciplines, all of us, right? Mm. And so how we discipline ourselves about the news and and what we allow to come into our system. And when when I say our system, I mean my mind, my heart. What am I thinking about and meditating on all day, every day, right? If that's news, if that's social media, then we really have to, again, be honest about 
what is that filling up in me? What void and what messages? What is that doing in my my humanity, my spirituality? Right. I think that's a good question to ask. Number one. So the spiritual disciplines of like pausing, hmm. like resting, like taking a Sabbath, like taking some time off of this normal crazy, you hmm. know, routine, like solitude, right? Just. Right. Not being so dependent on outside influences, but just really being present with the Lord. That's one thing Moses clearly had that was sustaining him through his wilderness. So I think all of us practicing the spiritual disciplines and encouraging other people in that, like, girl, go take a nap, right? (laughs) I think those things are helpful to the spirit. That's number one. But for artists in particular. And I have a mentee of mine who has a beautiful voice and I'm encouraging her all the time to say, look, your gift is not just for entertainment. You need to understand the power of your gift. That gift is also to glorify God in other ways. That gift is also to be used as a weapon of spiritual warfare Mm -hmm. and taking her to the scripture of those things. And so I think most of the time, artists have a prophetic calling and they may not know it. And God has been gracious in that he's given them a medium in which to fulfill that prophetic calling. That's not always attack because you can speak the truth and still have it be beautiful. Yeah. So I love great music. I love, you know, good art. And so my encouragement to artists and musicians and such would be to understand the seriousness and importance of the gift and to not take it lightly. And and I'm not to say they don't have fun with it, do have fun with it. But what I'm saying is be intentional in how you train, Mm. be intentional in how you steward, be intentional in what messages you are communicating through the gift. Mm. Oh, I love that. In your book, you do talk about mentorship and sponsorship, but you also even talk about your own practice of spiritual direction. Which is important to me because in my own experience with spiritual Mm -hmm. direction, I never would have been able to speak truth to myself first and then to others. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about those three things and why those things show up in your book? What what do they mean to you? Yeah. Mentorship, the quick response to that is you need people to journey with you. I think sometimes we don't realize the importance even of peer mentoring. Mm. So when you do have those bad days, there's someone there to remind you of who you really are and um, what you call to do so you can have a good night of sleep and get up and then remember that for yourself. So I think mentoring is very, very important because it's relational. And so much of what the enemy does is try to get people to feel isolated and that they're alone. That's a lie, right? Mm. That I'm alone, that no one cares. That's a deceit. God doesn't care and nobody else cares either. Mm-hmm. And so when we have mentors, not only do they tell you that they care, but they're invested. They show that in their actions. And so I think mentoring is just so important for relationship. And mm. I think it's important for the Christian family and for our community. So I think that's critical. The sponsorship piece is really a call for leaders. When you have influence, and all of us do to some capacity, if you're a mother or father, you have it in your home. If you're someone that works in an office that you have it on your job, you are at some position that's a level or two higher than the next person. What I would love to see and what I encourage and challenge people to is that to consider your space and consider your influence and consider the people that might not have those same opportunities and access to the spaces that you have. And how do you invite people and introduce people into those spaces and opportunities because of the gospel? 
because of the sake of Christ, not because of political correctness or obligation or shame or affirmative action, but because you look around and Jesus has changed your heart Mm -hmm. and say that he is here and for all different types of people. And you know, everybody doesn't have the same opportunities as you. Mm -hmm. How can you create space and opportunity for other children of God? So I think that's Mm -hmm. a sponsorship. That's so great that people need to think about and not just assume that you are where you are because you are anointed or blessed by the Holy Spirit because there are plenty of people who are anointed and blessed by the Holy Spirit and don't have the opportunities or the network that you have. That's right. Or you picked yourself up with your bootstraps, right? (laughs) Right, right, right. So I think that's where the sponsorship piece. And then for the spiritual direction, for me, that, that has looked different in different seasons of my life. Okay. And so for me, it's been very important to have someone in our day-to-day life, right? Just not leaders or glamorous folks, but just in our day-to-day. You say, that's a great mom. That's a great teacher. Mm. I want to be better at that. that go and ask that person, can you show me how to do that? And that's a mentoring relationship. Mm-hmm. But it's also when you actually go and practice what they taught you and not just run away and say, oh, that's great. <laughs> but you actually go and practice it for yourself. That then becomes the discipline and the spiritual formation. That's right. So we're at a cultural crossroads, Right. You think? In our nation. (laughs) And you even, you say this, being at the crossroads provides wonderful opportunities for courageous action. Could you tell us how you see the crossroads right now? Where are we and what opportunities lie before us? Well, I think two things I write about in a book. I, I said, you know, the problem with Pharaoh is that he thinks he has more power than he actually does. And the problem with those of us who are in Pharaoh's kingdom is that too often we believe him. Mm. If God is God, then Pharaoh is not, and Caesar is not, and the president of the United States is not, and money is not, and your job is not, right? Mm. If God is God, then that gives us an anchor for our soul. And for real, we have ask myself, what is God asking of me in this season? That may be different for different people, but I do know we don't have a choice to do nothing Yeah, because not responding, not acting, it is a choice. And it's a choice, I, I believe, in disobedience, because what Jesus calls us to is to be light in the world, to be salt in the world, in the midst of the darkness. He didn't call us out of the world. He sends us into the world that we will be sanctified in it, holy, set apart for his purpose in the world. And so some of us, that may be being prayer warriors. Mm. And that's what we do. Some of us, that may be registering folks to vote. And that's what we do. Some of us, that may be running for office. And that's what we do. Some of us, that may be being a good preacher. And that's what we do. Some of us would be being a good Bible teacher or a small group leader. And that's what we do. Some of us, that would be being hospitable in our home or having a sanctuary church or helping Mm -hmm. the immigrants in our neighborhood or raising kids that love Jesus and are unafraid about that in their public schools, Mm -hmm. you know, or any number of things. But what I'm saying is we really have to wrestle and ask ourselves, how are we being good steward over the position, the place that God has put us, over the relationships that he's given, over the money that he's provided, over the spaces that he's allowed us to influence? Mm -hmm. And how do we speak truth in those spaces, right? Mm -hmm. You are someone who lives this in every part of your life. And so I just appreciate your leadership, your voice, and just taking time 
to talk with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Betwixt Podcast. You can find more Betwixt episodes and view our show notes at betwixtpodcast.com or you can visit my partners at missyoualliance.org. Missio Alliance is resourcing a church reimagined for a world recreated. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed and given Betwixt a positive review on iTunes or Google Play. If you haven't done that yet, please consider taking a minute to help me out. This really is the fuel of podcasts, and it makes a big difference. Special thanks to my friends Rivoli for sharing the music that you hear now. You can check them out at ryvoli.com or Facebook slash Rivoli. Hey, it has been a real pleasure to produce this podcast for you. Thank you for holding liminal space with me today. Catch you next time.